Hello, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. Throughout March, we are celebrating Women's History Month with a stellar lineup of female team members under this year's theme, Celebrating Women Who Tell Our Stories. This week's special guest is New York-based creative director, Vicky Osborne. And joining us for this week's episodes as co-host is Montreal-based production coordinator, Lisa Ceccarilli. This is another banger of an episode, so settle in and please enjoy episode 16, part one of the Framestore podcast. Welcome back to the Framestore podcast, episode 16, part one. Each week, we invite both a guest from our global Framestore community and a co-host with a keen interest in our guest's craft, work or career path, and we let the magic happen. We split each episode in two parts across the week. On today's episode, I warm them up by inviting our guests to the Framestore podcast daily session, our 13-question grilling, followed by Thursday's second part, where our co-host leads a deeper dive into why we invited them on the pod in the first place. On this week's episode, we continue our series of conversations celebrating Women's History Month. This year's theme is celebrating women who tell our stories, so we are very well placed at Framestore to have these discussions, where we continue to spotlight women's achievements, increase visibility, and raise awareness of roles, disciplines, and different perspectives across our global community. On this week's episodes, we invite New York-based creative director Vicky Osborne to take on the dailies. With a career spanning over two decades, Vicky graduated from Bournemouth University in 2001, starting out in London as a CG artist at MPC, then rising through the ranks to head of CG with a move to New York City in 2011. Vicky has since transitioned to Method Studios as VFX Soup, then joined Framestore in May 2021 as creative director. Joining us for this week's episode as co-host is Montreal-based production coordinator Lisa Checkerilli, who, with a background as an illustrator and cartoonist, has come up through Rodeo FX, Method Studios, and now Framestore since 2022. Welcome to the pod, Vicky and Lisa. Happy Women's History Month. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> You're very welcome. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. It's good to have you. And that was, crikey, that was a big old introduction. I was almost getting out of breath like, reading through it because uh, there was a lot to pack in there. But yeah, thank you so much for making time. Uh, I know this has uh, been a notorious one for the three of us because just making time to carve out an hour to have a conversation is quite challenging, particularly in your role, Vicky, as creative director in New York and as well on the production side for you, Lisa, on, on the Montreal side. So very excited that we've made this happen. So I'm going to get into it. Before we open the dailies, my excuse is I like to play every man. It's not because I don't know anything. It's like I'm trying to kind of create a service for our listeners. We've had a number of 
VFX supervisors on the show, and we've had uh, one creative director, but not from the commercial side. I'd really love to hear a bit more about the role of creative director on the the integrated advertising side, Vicky. And I'm not asking you to sum up your entire career in a in a media friendly soundbite, but could you tell us a bit about the role of, of creative director in your part of the world? I do a lot of winning jobs, if you like interfacing with agency directors bidding jobs you know get, getting them on board so i think that part of my job is is a huge part and, and very important but then i like to stay very involved in the jobs through until they deliver so i think just also as well as that side of things it's keeping an eye on the creative vision of the project trying to keep that on track Ideally, still staying involved with agency and director and making sure that what we planned and what we shot sees its way through to the final product. That's kind of what I do in a nutshell. I do like to also be on set. I still put my VFX supervisor hat on as well, sometimes, whenever possible. I think that sums up pretty much what I do. That's probably one of the most succinct answers we've had. And your background as a CG artist, going way back to your your NPC days and and early days with all all the studios you've worked at, is that an important part of being a CD, do you think? Or can you come from lots of different walks of life? Because clearly you have a lot of on-set experience and literal creative experience. But is that a prerequisite to being a creative director? I find that it helps me hugely, but I don't think that you have to come from any particular sphere of our world to be successful at being a creative director. I think hands-on experience in some facet of the job is good. In fact, is essential for most of my career. People in this role that I looked up to mostly came from more of a 2D background, maybe a flame artist or that kind of side of things. So when I was younger and coming up, I didn't see people from a 3D background in this role. But now actually, now I'm here, I know lots of people that are. So I think that might have changed a little bit over the years, you know. That's really interesting. And uh, on the winning work side as well, because you've clearly got the creative side down. So when I think of winning jobs, I think of almost that kind of production mindset and that kind of focus on, you know, winning the client, winning the project, winning winning the work. I mean, where, where does that skill set come from? Honestly, that, that side of things is just about the person you are as well. And I think to a degree, it's almost like there's two roles to my job, one of which has always been the on the box, doing the creative work, creating the stuff. And then the other side is just how you interface with people, whether it's people on your team, uh, which initially it would have been for me. And then I think as you start to lead jobs, it's you then have to start to interface with agency, director. You need to learn how to bid jobs. You sort of learn all of these skills along the way. A lot of that is just people skills, really. I think um, having the knowledge and the background to know what you're talking about and then to be able to talk about that with all the various people involved in the process in a way that they understand and that you kind of you communicate your ideas but you also listen to theirs and and, and feel that like you have creative partners that's great yeah i'm glad you've talked about the people skills piece because that's becoming a bit of a concurrent theme on the podcast is whoever we talk about we get stuck into communication skills i hate the term soft skills i i, I prefer human skills like literally how to connect with other human beings on a meaningful level it's almost whatever walk of life you're in in vfx it's like work hard and be nice to people you've got to know how to interact with people i think it's so interesting uh, lisa i wanted to kind of uh, bring you in as well and hear a bit about your role because you're you're super new at framestore right i, I checked uh, again my research skills are limited to a, a stalk on your linkedin profile 
and maybe the intranet just to check that the uh, the job titles marry up. Tell me a bit about your experience coming to Framestore as as a production, a working production, and being a creative with your illustration hat on. I came into working at Framestore via Method. I started working as a production coordinator at Method around a year and a half ago, and then I came to Framestore, and I'm very happy to be here. And how long have you been an illustrator? That's my background as well, so I'm super interested in anybody who started out as a traditional illustrator. It's something I kind of fell into it, but I did work as an illustrator and as an artist professionally, mostly doing just that for about eight years. I started making comics, and I put out my comics, and they ended up getting published by a publisher, and that just led to illustration jobs. So, of course, you know, when that started happening, I left my day job so quickly, like as quickly as possible. <laughs> and I, I did that for quite a while, and I did some freelancing for agencies. I did quite a bit of uh, representing myself, and I also worked for a rep for a while. I started to transition away from doing mostly that just because I wasn't, it was a combination of things. It's never just one thing, but I wasn't really happy with the sort of commercial work that I was getting. I just felt like it wasn't bringing me where I wanted to go. It wasn't very consistent work. The way I ended up here was I started taking some gigs on the side just to, you know, so that I could go back and focus mostly on being like a, an artist and not so much a, an illustrator. That started getting me work on film sets. I worked as a production assistant. I ended up getting a gig working as a, well, first I started working for like a team of visual artists who they do like big installations and museums and galleries and things like that. And they hired me first just to help them around their studio and build stuff for them, like putting up shelves and building crates. And pretty soon they asked me to help them actually with the organization of creating and installing their work that was really like a, a great opportunity. I never really had a responsibility like that. And I ended up realizing I really liked working with creative teams, not necessarily being the person making the stuff, but being like the glue of making it work. I was going to use the term glue because the production very much feels like the glue that connects the whole the whole project. It speaks to what Vicky was talking about around those people skills that kind of bring people together. It wasn't really like where I ever thought I would end up. I honestly thought that like to work in film or to work in any like sort of like motion picture related work, like I, in my head, I just thought like you had to go and live in like Hollywood or something to do that. <laughs> and so of course, like when that opportunity came up, it was amazing. And I really wanted to work in genres that I thought were interesting and that inspired me like fantasy and science fiction and everybody just kept telling me to go towards vfx because i would find what i was looking for there long may it continue and how, when did you join i do believe it was last april that i joined framestore yeah oh so you're coming up to your uh, your year anniversary congratulations almost there okay so we've got a year and 20 plus so this is a perfect marriage on on the podcast before we get into the dailies i wanted to ask you both what women's history month means to you some people think it's you know that a great stake in the ground 
some people think it's just, you know, we need more than a month. We need more than International Women's Day. It should be almost like a year-long celebration. But I'd love to get your take on what the month means to you, uh, Vicky, if you want to take that one. I guess in a way, having a month, it is like a token effort, isn't it? But I think what's great is that if, because that exists, it, it sparks these conversations. You hear people talking about women and how they're how their history is relevant to what we're doing now. You see special programs on the radio and, and it just gets people talking. So I think having having it at all is, is a great thing and it doesn't really stop after the month, but just raises awareness. I've learned a lot about things I wouldn't know about. You see posts online about people. It's just, it, it raises the conversation up and gets people talking and makes you more aware of things. So I think it's great to have a month, even though it doesn't really stop. <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, the I've asked for a lot of uh, nominations. I mean, I know we were planning on doing this a while, a while back, Vicky, but I've been get, going out to the whole business going, can you send me some names? Because I want to do some episodes throughout Women's History Month. And I have so many names. I'm already looking to do an extended cut through April and May. It definitely will go beyond the month at Framestore, at least anyway, which is exciting. How about you, Lisa? What does Women's History Month mean to you? I do tend to agree with Vicky that just one month is not enough. It's it's every day of our lives. I think it's wonderful to look at women's achievements and contributions. I also feel like people should not have to do something excellent or significant to be valued as People. For me, on a personal level, I, I do feel that women's rights go hand in hand with the rights of other oppressed people, like trans people, gay people, people of color. I think that they're just like so intrinsically linked. A month is like a good time to remind ourselves to look inside and think what are our biases surrounding these things whether you're a man, whether you're a woman or anything in between, like we all have these prejudices that need to be examined. And it's a it's a good moment to do that. Agreed, agreed. And like I say, it's uh, definitely moving beyond a month, at least with the podcast. And now that we've moved to a bi-weekly schedule, I think I could literally pack the rest of the year out with women's experiences. But we're going to obviously get a blend as we go through the year, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And I- I'm sure we'll revisit the subjects of Women's History Month as we-, as we go through the dailies. And of course, part two, where Lisa, you take over with your list of questions for Vicky that um, Vicky doesn't know, which is quite exciting, because of course, there's the pre-planned dailies, which Vicky will be well prepared for. But Lisa gets to kind of throw the curveball. So uh, if it's okay with you both, I think we should open the dailies. Are you happy, Vicky, to get started? Yes. Well, I think I am. Amazing. All right. Well, I'm going to drop the the big dailies dramatic sound effect. And we are into the dailies. And the first question, which we have already established by Ask It on every podcast because it's the law, is who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you? And what are you working on? Only if you're allowed to talk about it, of course. So you know who I am and where I am. I'm, I'm based in the New York office. And at the moment, so I, yeah, advertising is a little different to features in the sense that I'm always working on multiple jobs at one time. <laughs> They're a lot shorter in length. At the moment, there's one job that is in post-production. I just got back from the set of another there's another one that we're planning right now. I don't know if I am allowed to say exactly what they're for. They're for cars, they're for computers, they're for all sorts of different stuff. So there's a really great variety of work that I get to work on. Keeps me interested, keeps me on my toes. At any one time, in how many projects could you potentially be working on, Vicky? At the moment, I've got three on the go and I, I like to 
limit it at three because I think there's only so much of your mind that you can make available for this stuff. And it's good to not be stretched too thin. Right now, it's great because they're all at slightly different stages. One's at planning stage, pre-shoot. One's just post-shoot, kicking off. One's post-edit. So it's nice to have them at different stages of the game as well. We can all get a little overloaded at times, but I think three is probably the most I would like to work on. There's an art of time management there, isn't there, in terms of making sure that they're not all like delivering in the same week and exactly. actually always having them at, like you say, at different stages in the game, which uh, must take a lot of planning and expectation managing and yeah, like relationship skills. It does. And I think our, yeah, our wonderful production team in New York probably takes care of most of the timing aspects of that. That's definitely not down to me. <laughs> So we talked about your tenure in industry. So I've, I've banded around the 20 plus years. And funny enough, I think the last three episodes, we've, all, we've had it's, it's the same amount of tenure. We had Russell Dodgson, who was 20 plus years. Patricia Laguna, who was 20 plus years. And here we are with Vicky Osborne, with also 20 plus years. So there's a little theme going on here, written in the stars for sure. But out of those 20 years, how long has been spent working at Framestore? Actually, less than two. I started with the Framestore New York office less than two years ago, but um, it's already going quite quickly and I'm very well settled in. There's a great team of people here and everyone's super creative and very lovely. So I'm hopefully it's this, this stage will go on for a long time too. I want to talk a bit about breaks. We throw around the concept of the big break in industry, particularly on these podcast conversations. But what would you consider to be your break in industry? Is it that first gig at the start of your career? Or is there a particular point in your career where it's like, yeah, this is what I want to do? The first gig is the important one to get right. Because certainly for me, I I studied for only a year in in computer animation. And it was very new to me at the time. And we had a show in London. I think it was actually at CineSight, which used to be the same office as Framestore in London, like a screening of all the student work and then people from the industry come along and watch your work and usually it migrates to a pub and you talk to everyone. And I think that's where I got my break. They see your work and then you hold a conversation about it. (laughs) And from that, I got an interview at MPC and that's really was my break. From there, it's a real eye opener. You learn something about your craft and then you you get a job and then you see how much you've got to learn, you know, things that you never even realized, you know, and from there on in, that's the break. That's the, the learning experience. You're like a sponge and you just, you can't learn enough, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, what's really interesting as well is because there's two things I talk about a lot on the podcast. One is kind of what I call squiggly career paths. So whenever you start in any, any industry, you know, you think there's a kind of diagonal line to success. And you just work your way through that career path. And that definitely looks you know, like the case when I do my research on LinkedIn. So, for example, you know, obviously, I looked on your, on your LinkedIn profile. Other social medias are available, by the way. I'm not like getting sponsored by LinkedIn here. But if I look at your, your career path, it does look very linear. You know, you started off as CG artist and you worked your way up through supervisory roles all the way up to creative director. So on paper, it looks very linear. But how squiggly has your career path been, Vicky, if I may be so bold? Well, I think in terms of goals, it probably is quite straight because I think from it has risen in a fairly linear way. Although I didn't, I guess the squiggly part for me comes in geography because, you know, after getting my initial break and then I learned so much, I think my next sort of change of trajectory was the move from London to New York. That's when I became head of CG. It was a big jump for me in terms of experience. I suppose the career path was still linear, but the the experience and the opportunity was very much 
change directions, you know, because it opens up a whole world of new stuff. And I think you do have to have change and new things because otherwise you start to get a little slightly uninspired if you don't change something up. So for me, it wasn't really the career path. It was the location, which kind of gave me a whole new lease of life and a, and a new way of looking at everything, you know. And when you think about change and transition, so to be promoted to head of CG is transition enough for a lot of people. That's a big shift, right? So you both had that going on and moving your life to New York. You know, how did you balance that brevity of change? Um, well, I think I was ready for it, though. I think I needed the change. I got to a point where I had to change something and I knew it wasn't going to be my career because I definitely liked that. So I was, I put my hand up and asked for that change. So for me, it was, it was a welcome one. And I think one of the things that made a big difference for me is that because the move to New York was at the very beginning of, of an office opening there, it was a small team. It wasn't such a big task to start off with. I kind of took that task on and then, and then that grew into a bigger team and more opportunity. So I think that challenge, it wasn't like I was suddenly taking over a huge team of people. It was a smaller challenge with lots of opportunity that then I got to grow with, you know. And how did you find flexing those? And we talked, again, we talked about the human people skills earlier, because there's a, quite a different people tool set, isn't there, for moving from kind of, you know, a soup or an artist to head of CG and managing lots of creatives. You know, what was the, what did you have to change significantly in that, that move? The initial big change for me was suddenly interviewing a lot of people to hire. That's not something I'd, I'd had the opportunity to do before. And, and, and the types of people I was interviewing were a little different in New York than they were in London. You know, that there's different people, different nationalities, different cultures, different backgrounds. It was just, it was really interesting to meet. And I'm glad to say lots more women actually in, in New York. I was finding, you know, because when I, when I grew up, there wasn't, for a long time, I was kind of the only <laughs> female in the CG department. And I think over time that's changed. In London, the, the, there was more people, but not so many. And I was really pleasantly surprised to find I was interviewing, without even trying, way more female talent in New York than I saw in London. I, I guess that might have just been because that kind of, that area of experience, I guess, became more open. I don't know. I don't know why that is, actually. I, I was trying to answer it, but I'm not quite sure why that was. But there was just there was just more females that were talented that were doing the courses that they needed to do to get into this line of work. It was, I'd like to say that I kind of made an effort to seek that out, and but it, it just happened, and it was a great thing to see. Yeah, it must have been an amazing thing to be part of and witness. I mean, I remember when I set up Access VFX years ago, the big conversation was around the lack of females in creative, senior creative roles. That was the big thread of conversation that was happening and still happens to this day. So to hear that it was almost like chalk and cheese moving to New York is just really interesting. I have to do my own research myself, I think. I have to look into that. Maybe, maybe it's the colleges, I don't know. It could have partly been because I had not been doing that job in London so much. Maybe maybe the other people that were recruiting were seeing the same thing in London, but I wasn't so exposed to that. But I definitely noticed a difference and it was good. It was a good thing. <laughs> a bit of a divergence, but and it's not one of the set questions. But as a, a senior female creative, Vicky, do you feel a, a responsibility to to really lean into role modeling and, 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 you know, bringing the next generation up. I do. And it's not necessarily because of the female aspect. As I was coming up, I lent on a lot of people around me for knowledge. And I think it's part of the industry and part of the learning your job. It's so important to learn from people around you. And 
I know I'm probably jumping into a question that you were going to ask me anyway, but like, I don't remember one particular mentor that stood out, but because there was so many people, you know, everyone helped each other. Everyone learned from each other. Everyone used to ask questions, was open to questions. It's just that kind of environment was very important for learning. And I feel a responsibility to be part of that open and learning nature for anyone, because it's so important to this. It's not stuff that you can learn <laughs> online, stuff that you have to learn on the job. And I do feel a responsibility as a woman to do that too. But I, I think it's almost in there anyway, just because I feel that responsibility to everyone, you know, no matter who they are. Yeah, and like you say, the whole, I mean, we'll get to the mentor question later, but the, uh, I think it was Russell's episode a few clicks back where he had, he said the same thing. It was almost like a um, a cacophony of micro mentors have supported him along the way. The term, the term he used, I can't take credit for that. And I love the idea of micro mentoring where it's just the people around you, you know, whether it be working on projects or shows or whatever you're involved in, there's always somebody there you can learn from, good, good or bad, you know, it's all part of the the experience isn't it oh yeah which i'm sure again i'm sure we'll get into and um, so then my next question is the the famous cheesy question i have to ask it and again it's the law of the podcast i'm going to ask both of you this question which is what's the best thing about being part of frame store so we'll start with vicky and then i'll hand over to lisa it's got to be the people actually and it it always is for me in this line of work i love the work and i love the the jobs that i work on but it's always the process and the people and the relationships you make that's the best part of it it's a really great team of very creative and very friendly and open people and i think honestly i think for me that's the most important part of the job and framestore definitely delivers on that it definitely feels like uh, i mean i've been in visual effects for best part of 10 years and i've always been really taken aback by the the community that exists within the visual effects industry and I've worked in TV and radio and lots of other sectors, but I've, I've never really got that sense of community in any other industry. Um, why do you think that is? Because I agree with you. I, I find the, the industry an, an amazing industry part of. Why do you think it's, it's present in visual effects, do you think? You have to work as a team for a start. Like every project is very much team-based. Like if you don't work well together, the, the job doesn't happen and, and the creative magic doesn't happen. But then also you do end up working quite long hours. And I think that when you do that together with other people, there's a camaraderie that you have to have, otherwise it doesn't work, you know? So there's an element of the fact that you are a team and, and sometimes, and also in any project-based work where there's a hard deadline, you're gonna feel pressure to meet that at times. And you just gotta do that together. You, you've gotta, it's almost like passing the baton from like CG to comp to, uh, and you've got to work together as a team. And without that cohesive nature, it just, just doesn't happen, you know? Yeah, that's, really, that's an interesting point. Every, everybody absolutely plays their part. And you're right, it's, it's that project mentality. And like I say, you're working towards that shared deadline. It's you know, us against the world. And then you move from kind of project to project, don't you? And I'm sure you cross paths with, with the same people all the time as well. So you have war stories to share and exactly. client stories and, and you know, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And the hours piece is interesting as well. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, obviously, we have to touch on that at some point. Like, we all have to work long hours at times to get these things done. And I think having people around you, it's a little different now because there's so much remote work. But most of my time <laughs> spent doing that was in a, in a room of people where you keep each other buoyant, let's say. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you, Vicky. And what about you, Lisa? I really appreciate the emphasis that they make on education and training people up for those people who do want to learn. Excellent. Correct answer. Thank you. 
that was really impressive. And I really, I, I think that people seem quite patient and they want their teammates to, to excel, which is like always very nice. You're absolutely right. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. I'm glad you've taken that away. Um, so I'm going to move into a bit about the work, so the projects and the shows that you, you've worked on, Vicky. And if you could recommend, I almost want to change this question to what project would you show to an alien to demonstrate what Framestore does? But the actual question is, if you could recommend one project that showcases Framestore at its best, what would it be? I, I thought really long and hard about this question because I don't think there is one thing. It's really hard, you know, like my experience with Framestore, even though I've only been working at Framestore for a couple of years, my experience with Framestore's work goes much further back because when I was working in London from right from the beginning, I was very aware of Framestore's work then and everything they were doing. So, for example, when I first started out, I was so interested in the walking with dinosaurs work that they did then that was like around the time it was already out and that was the big buzz about framestore was all of that stuff everyone wanted to work on dinosaurs <laughs> obviously but then all the way through like i remember being really blown away by the character work in general that they did and also there was an amazing couple of spots that were done with the director jonathan glazer that blew me away too, like the the Guinness, the horses and the... Oh God, the whole, uh, yeah, the, the tidal wave thing. So it's really hard for me to sum up. There's like that side of things where I knew of the work, but I didn't work at Framestore. And then there's the work now, which is still kind of blowing me away. A lot of the, particularly the AI related stuff that's happening now. And just the in the character work in features, the guardians of the galaxy stuff, like. The, the attention to detail and the quality, just the quality of that work is, you know, it's a real testament to, to Framestore. I, I can't pick one thing, honestly. I thought really hard. And I can't. Yeah, it's, it's a really unfair question. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I, if I twisted the question then or reframed it as a, a, a project that you're really proud to have worked on or have been a part of, particularly on the IA side. Yeah, I actually haven't had um, a ton of, my career hasn't been spent here so far, but I mean, even just the last project that I did was was incredible and I got to experience lots of new things. I worked on some Super Bowl work this year. Oh, amazing. It's a big thing, but the Will Ferrell spot for GM and Netflix was a really great experience. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Love that. Yeah, just, you know, when there's big names involved and it's funny, I I really haven't in my career worked on a lot of comedy stuff, but I've worked on more in the last two years than I ever have before. And it's really nice to be part of something that isn't serious, you know, that's actually just meant to be funny. And, and also technology wise that, you know, we shot some of that on, on an LED volume, which I hadn't had any experience of before. So, I mean, you know, I might have been doing this for a long time, but there's constantly new things. Yeah, it's always changing, isn't it? Always changing. And, and, and that's probably the one that I've done most recently that exposed me to, you know, lots of new things at once. I'm actually working on a job right now that I'm hoping will expose me to more of the AI side of things, but that hasn't quite happened yet. So I can't really talk about that. No, fair enough. I mean, the, the, that Will Ferrell spot for the Super Bowl was brilliant and uh, great to hear that there was an LED volume there because it's a bit of a, a geeky thing that I'm really interested in. I mean, I'm not massively techy because I assume you would have been on set for a lot of that, Vicky, as well. What was it like being in the presence of those ridiculous volumes? I mean, they're, they're majestic things, aren't they, from what I've seen in BTSs and stuff? 
They are really great. And, you know, there's a lot of things in our industry that become buzzwords throughout the years. I've experienced many things. And, and, and a lot of the time, people just want to do it because it's a buzzy thing to do and not maybe for the right reasons. So I think a big part of it's been learning the limitations as well as the the good things that, that can happen um, when you're on the volume. But you're right, they're huge and all-encompassing as they should be. Yeah, it's it's a great thing to see. It's an unusual in our industry historically to be doing the work up front rather than at the end. But obviously that shifts the emphasis on uh, into pre-production and creating unreal scenes that work before the shoot, which is which is a nice aspect. So to see work that you've done on the screens at a shoot, it's a very different different experience from doing the work in post, which is traditionally what's happened. Brilliant. And, and that role on set, do you do much work with the talent uh, or are you literally, is it more the kind of shots and direction from that, that perspective? You know, talent wise on set, it's re- that's really the director's purview, you know, like that's their, their thing. I think to different degrees I, I have in the past been involved in some things. I think, I think where it's important to have interaction with the actors is sometimes if, if there's a lot that you're creating in CG afterwards that isn't present on set, that's when I kind of I find that my role is more important as an interactive thing. I think if we've worked on previs, if we have any, you know, look dev or modeling work that we've done up front, it can help to share that with actors so they know what's going on, you know, because often they'll get there and there's a green screen or there's a green something, you know. On those kinds of jobs, I think it's good to interact, but usually in terms of performance, that's usually the director's job. And of course, if he invite he or she invites me in to help then I will but um yeah it's always it's always on them <laughs> usually brilliant I mean I always get a sense that the uh, the creative director or the supervisor from a VFX point of view is always kind of in the the eye of the storm on those those shoots you know almost in from what I've learned from speaking to lots of different people over the years is you, you can't take your eye off the ball you have to be an earshot of almost every single role on that that shoot I mean is that is that fair to say? I mean, from somebody who's never been on set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's absolutely fair to say. You develop a kind of superhuman hearing. If your name is mentioned or if posts mentioned or if the effects is mentioned, you can hear it from across the room, you know, because people are having these conversations. And yeah, it's funny. You're absolutely right. <laughs> a proper superpower. Well, I'm sure we'll get back into that. And again, you know, I'm excited to hear Lisa's questions in part two, where we'll really get under the skin of your, the role of creative director. But I want to kind of move into the next question, Vicky, if that's okay, which is uh, one of my favorite questions, actually. What is a common myth about your role, your field of expertise? Yeah, this is a tough one, especially seen as like this has only been my role in more recent years. So I, I, I might apply it across my entire career as well. The general myth, I think it probably applies to all facets of this job, but just the, how long it takes to create these things. I think in a lot of people's minds, people think somehow because it's in a computer, it's easy. There's a button that creates things or, you know, that kind of thing. And it's it's not really just relevant to my role. I think it's it's our industry as a whole I think there's a lot of people underestimate a lot of how long it takes and what kind of craft and artistry goes into creating what we do because essentially you know we're doing exactly what's done on set but we're doing it inside a computer but we still have to texture and paint and animate and light and, and and I think people don't understand how much work and time goes into it and they think because it's created in a computer it's somehow done for us you know 
which which of course we all know it's not <laughs> that's a really good answer actually because it speaks to um you know whenever i used to go out to careers fairs and stuff particularly when i used to work at the mill because obviously you know that was all all commercial work a lot of the arguments were that if you you work on film you're working on these shows for years you know and shots for forever and then if you work in commercials it's this quick turnaround everybody talk about the quick turnaround on uh, commercial projects but i imagine that's not always the case in response to your answer vicky you know how long would a typical something like the nike spot from last year i mean i imagine that would have been a, a huge undertaking in terms of time do you know what there is never enough time though and i'm sure everyone says this about every job they're ever on. I've only ever been on one job in my life that I felt like I had too much time, <laughs> which does exist. <laughs> I, I think for a commercials job, the ideal time is a couple of months because it gives you enough impetus to get it done quickly, but there's also a, enough time to think about it. And but if you have about that time to work on things, you don't want to be rushed into making creative decisions off the bat. I think it needs a little bit of time to evolve and a couple of months is a good time. I think, unfortunately, a lot of these jobs are done under intense pressure and in less time than that, you know. Like a lot of the jobs I've been working on just lately have had more like a month to complete, and, and that seems a little crazy sometimes. But you know what? The, you still get it done, and I think there's an element of the pressure that makes you do it well. But then having a bit longer to make these decisions and think about it. You know when sometimes... You need time to sit and think about things to come to conclusions and maybe the first time you do it it won't be right you need an evolutionary kind of creative process i think giving things a little bit more time to breathe is good but i think having too long could also be slightly negative too, which sounds like a controversial thing to say but um you know there is definitely a a sweet spot for this kind of stuff which leads us neatly into the next question which is lessons you've learned over your your 20 plus year career Vicky you know what would you think is the what's the most important lesson you've learned in your career to date it's probably comes down to the upfront planning and upfront sort of vision that you have like if you're going to undertake anything in in CG 2D you know create anything I think you've got to work from really good references and direction design you have to know what you're trying to create or what you're aiming for and i think no matter what side of things you work in whether it's whether it's something more fantastical or something where you can find really solid reference for you have to plan and find images and references up front i think that the biggest lesson i've found is if you do if you go into anything without without doing that search and that gathering of inspiration first, then it doesn't really work out well. I think the more you do that, the better it is. Just researching and finding inspiration or finding reference or finding, yeah, any, any of that kind of inspiration. I think that's the biggest lesson. The more time you put into that, the better the end result is. Yeah, I and mean, what's involved in that? Again, sorry, I'm super interested in this. Um, it, I mean, I, I have visions of kind of like, you know, you know, the old mood boards in terms of like getting the color palette right or, you know, I mean, it, is it often just like a Google search? I'm not saying you get scrapbooks out like we used to back in the day and you know, cut out magazines, but, you know, it, how do you get that reference material? Is it all on the internet or do you, are there kind of field trips involved? Do you have the luxury of being able to kind of get out and find relevant material or is it all done online? Um, mostly Google searches, I will say, but you're absolutely right. It's good to... To, to branch out from that 
certainly in in my role now it's become even more important than it was because i'm often responsible for giving that reference and and you can talk about um, a direction for things as much as you want but really you need you need visuals to go with it like what we do is a very visual job i find whilst you can find most of your research online like things like just watching movies going to art galleries that's where you draw a lot of your inspiration from maybe ultimately you'll find that image online but the actual knowledge of where to look comes from a bit more kind of life experience as well so it's very important to keep yourself nourished with all of that good stuff um so that you can have these ideas you know yeah mostly it ends up online i mean our lives have changed a lot because of that and certainly it's easier to find that reference now than it was even from when I started actually I remember wanting to find very specific reference of I think it was bees or something when I first started and I actually got to go to a bookshop to find really good reference because it just wasn't available as much as it is now it's kind of crazy to think about I love the idea of field trips to galleries and go, or going to the zoo for, uh, you know, creature reference rather than kind of going online. But I guess you don't always have the luxury of time with a lot of jobs, right? I mean, literally, it's quick turnaround. Well, you don't. And it's, it's, yeah, it's good to do both, but there are actually very, very good references of, of that stuff online now, especially I remember whenever we've wanted creature reference, there's great, you know, the BBC stuff is second to none for the, for the nature and animals and stuff like that. Moving into, again, another, well, actually, I, I do like this question. It's not one of my favourites. I'm going to move on to my favourite very shortly. But it would be remiss of me, Vicky, not to ask you who's been your most important professional mentor. Now, we talked about micro-mentors earlier, so I'm happy for you to stick to your guns there. But if there's anybody you want to name-check, now's the time. Yeah, no, I am going to stick to my guns there because whilst I've had lots of great people over the years, it really is like a, a community vibe there, like – Every, everyone helps everyone and, and I really couldn't name check just one person it's really it really is important to everyone you sit next to needs to act in that way towards each other um, and it's two-way street you know you can learn you can learn a lot from people with less experience too you know it's really important to to not get arrogant or not to stop learning or anything I think it's important to the mentors are always learning too, you know? <laughs> yeah, funny enough, I had the same conversation with a member of the the, the talent team earlier. We're planning uh, this year's Launchpad uh, internships and we were, we're talking about the very the very same thing, that your mentor, I mean, I personally learn more from the next generation of talent coming up than somebody who's been in the game for 20 years. As much as I'm learning a lot in this podcast, this is the exception to the rule, of course, Vicky. <laughs> I do genuinely learn so much from like Gen Z talent you know, it's not just about that sage, um, experienced person. You know, mentorship can come from so many walks of life. And that's what the Global Mentoring Program at Framestore is built on. Is it built on all levels of experience kind of pitching in globally. So that's a really, really great answer. I will say, actually, as well, that um, whilst mentoring is really important, it's never really been formalized in my career. It's always been something that just happens naturally and evolves. Um, so I'm really, really keen to get involved in what you've set up at Framestore that's on a more formal level, because I think it will give the opportunity to, to do that if you're not sitting next to the person, because it's much more far reaching, isn't it, that what you've set up. 
Yeah. Exactly. Thank you, Vicky. And I know you thank you for signing up as a mentor as well. I'm I'm looking at matching you very soon. If anybody's listening and they're inspired <laughs> by this podcast, drop me a, a G chat and we'll see if we can't get you connected to Vicky for sure. But yeah, thank you. <laughs> My actual favorite question on the podcast, and I have many of them, is the underrated tools question, because this can go in many directions. What underrated tool or tools do you feel are indispensable for you to get the job done, Vicky? I think it probably comes back to the reference. I think I think you already mentioned it, and it's probably the ability to search images online that's, for me, absolutely invaluable now. Um, I think, um, you know, Google isn't necessarily the best. I think, you know, it's the most used, but learning how to use the internet to garner references is, is it's not really a tool per se. I think that there's room for tools to become better in that sense, but learning how to find the best reference, you know, whether it's through photography sites or through stock stock photography sites or through stock footage sites, you know, or you have to kind of find the best places to find the best reference, but it takes you down all these paths and tunnels. But the best tool for me is is got to be kind of, searching for images really it's not really a tool per se because i suppose yeah google images yeah but you're right though it is about how you search isn't it like you know let's say you're looking for a particular reference material i don't know a a texture or creature reference you don't just type in the name of that creature you you know it's all about the type of texture i guess there's a bit of wordsmithing involved and a bit of knowledge of like you say photography angles you know yeah having quite a kind of scientific google search rather than just uh I'm searching for this thing, click, see what you get. You know, it's almost refining involved. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's definitely fair to say because you can, you know, there's definitely an art involved to doing those searches well. And, you know, I think some of the people that do it very, very well is when I first start on a job or or the, even the idea of a job before we've actually got it, we'll receive treatments from directors and and they obviously have a great team searching for their reference that goes into, into those treatments too. And And a lot of what we do is, requires the same level of skill. I think reverse image searching is a very, very special tool to have as well, finding out where references come from and, and, and what it belongs to. Reverse image searching, I wouldn't know where to start there. Yeah, <laughs> I, we use it a lot actually, because especially if, if images have been referenced in director's treatments and we want to find out more about the image, you can then put that image in as a, as a search term, if you like, as well. And then, and then it finds out for you where it came from. And maybe it was from a movie, maybe it was from a certain location or, you know, it's just finding, finding good visual references is the most important thing. I know what I'm doing later this evening. I'll be doing my reverse image searching. Lisa, I'd love to ask you what an underrated tool is in production now that you've been here almost a year. You know, what's, uh, what do you swear by that you would consider an underrated bit of kit? Well, I'm not quite sure if it's an underrated tool. I'm not sure how other people, how people rate this tool, but um, as much as I rely on the other production people in my team to point me in the right direction, to tell me how to do something or if like something's not clear, I really rely a lot on the artists in my team as well. I don't try to take up too much of their time because they're very busy, but I've learned so much about how to do my job better by asking them questions about exactly what they're doing. I think that's a great answer. And we talked about it on the last podcast, the underrated tool of curiosity, asking questions. 
you know, no matter how silly you feel they are, there's no such thing as the just getting under the skin of what it is we do, particularly all the different disciplines and creative approaches and departments in any visual effects studio, right? Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Asking questions, curiosity is a good tool. Yeah. <laughs> well, two very much rated tools. Thank you. Thank you both for, for leaning into that, uh, that question. So, uh, Vicky, uh, this is the kind of sage advice piece now, a golden nugget of advice that you'd offer to someone starting out in your in your field. You know, what would you, anybody listening, either they, they want to follow a career path within Framestore or they're probably external and they're looking to get a break. You know, what piece of advice would you give them? I think there's a lot of emphasis put on the actual work that you do and cutting a showreel and that kind of thing. And while that's very, very important for you to put your best work out there, I'm going to go back to the people thing again, because I think that when you put your work out there, you, you you tend to, I think when you're younger and starting out, put all of the emphasis on the work that you're putting out and you forget about you and how important you are as a person to getting that job. I would say to throw a bit more emphasis on on your personality, your interactions with people, your hobbies, everything that makes up who you are that goes along with that work is just as important as the work that you're putting out there. And I think to not forget that would be my advice because people aren't just hiring you for what you can do, you know, as a skill, is it, you know, the actual work. I think they're also hiring who you are as a person, as a more well-rounded, problem-solving, curious person that, that maybe does other things as well, that has other skills. Um, I, think, I think people sometimes forget the emphasis of that too. Yeah, I agree. And it does, for me, it fulfills 50% of that, that application, the, the person. You talked about the teams on projects, particularly in, in our industry. Huge teams, aren't they? No project summed up by the, the skill and talent of one artist or one great production person. It is literally, it takes a village mentality, isn't it? So I think it's what you bring to the table as a, a team player and somebody who can play nicely with others and take feedback and recognize that your idea might not be the, the most exciting one in the room. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, you're important as a person as much as the work that you do. Brilliant. Thank you, Vicky. What about you, Lisa? Have you got any advice for anyone out there? Who, anybody who wants to work in production? I would say look in every part of your life for the experience that you can bring with you. I didn't study this. I know that a lot of people who work in production and also who work as artists, they, they don't necessarily study this. And it's about like looking in different parts of your life and taking experience from that and really knowing how to use it for what you're doing at the moment. Uh, I talk, I've mentioned it on previous podcasts, the idea of being T-shaped. So the, the vertical part of the T is the, the job and what you do for a living. And then the horizontal part of the T is all the stuff that makes you a richly charactered individual with interests and a background and travel or, or whatever that may be. That's that what that's what makes anybody interested in any career. And I think it's so wherever you draw that from is completely up to you as a person in terms of your whether you call it personal brand or your personality or whatever you want to call it. I think that's really interesting. We're wrapping up the podcast now with a few questions that kind of lead us neatly into the end of part one. And this is a great question. This is, what's one question you wish I'd asked you and how would you have answered it, Vicky? This one's tough, but do you know what I would, I think what I'm going to focus on here is maybe the background that you came from before you came to this job, because like um, Lisa mentioned, it's a lot of people come into this industry from very different backgrounds. Although you can study 
sort of computer animation and visual effects now at many universities. And a lot of people do that. And that's a great course. There's a lot of people that come to it from a different background. And I guess I know you mentioned that I, I studied at Bournemouth. I actually only did that for a year as a master's because I discovered this world that I knew nothing about and I wanted to get into it. And so that's why I did that course. But before that, I studied um, astrophysics no <laughs> uh, way. at Manchester, which kind of gets dropped off now. And um, I can't emphasize enough how relevant that's been in my career because it gives you such an understanding of the 3D world that it seems like it's a very crazy um, different thing to study, but it's actually been very relevant along with all of the art and photography that I did as well. It's kind of ended up making sense for me, you know. <laughs> Astrophysics. That's like, that's proper badass, that is. That's like really cool. It's like something out of a science fiction movie. Wow. How do you apply astrophysics to the day-to-day? -day? Well, what I will say, it's mostly just physics. Um, there's only a little bit of the astrophysics in there. Everything we do, though, in 3D software is mimicking the real world, which is physics, basically. So um, it's not entirely physics, but I think having an understanding of that world somehow helps. To, to make sense of it all, you know? <laughs> uh, and again, every podcast, I get blown away. That There's always one element in every podcast. I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I had that conversation now. And I know that Vicky Osborne studied astrophysics. That's the coolest thing ever. Moving into question 12 of 13, which is uh, who would you like to hear on the podcast next? I mean, not necessarily next episode, but who would you like me to get on the hit list from Framestore? It's one of the areas of Framestore that I really love is that we have a production, as in, Framestore Pictures, um, I think we need to speak to some people from Framestore Pictures, be it directors or the production side of that either, because that's definitely something that I think isn't talked about as much as the post side. And I know there's a few very, very talented directors like Murray and Anne Vu and Andy Rowan Robinson, people that are doing some directing as well. And I think that's something that people would like to hear a bit more about. That's a great one. Uh, I, I am speaking to Michelle Waxman to get on the pod. Yes, all the production side of it. Yeah, I think just that aspect of, of the business is not something that I I knew as much about until I started working for Framestore. And so I think it would be great for more people to hear about it. I mean, the whole point of getting Michelle on is to start off a bit of a series of you know, Framestore Pictures episodes that does raise up awareness of, of that part of the business. That's uh, that's exciting. But yeah, absolutely more to come. Thank you for that, Vicky. Is there anybody you'd like to hear from, Lisa? I would I would really like to hear from people from Framestore Production. I would I would also really love to hear more from people in the support roles like in facilities and in like the building maintenance and really like what what brings them into this industry, what drew them to this and like sort of where they want to go. There's some great characters who uh, work in all of our facilities teams as well. Um, it has come up. The stories they could tell. Absolutely on that. Thank you, Lisa. That's a, that's a really, really great call. So we're moving into our kind of fun pairing question at the end. So we can relax now. We don't have to talk about work-related stuff. This is why people listen to the podcast. They want to hear the one meal you could eat for the rest of your life, Vicky. Yeah. So that's the, uh, <laughs> the culinary delight that you could exist on forever if you had to. I've thought about this very hard because I love food. I love cooking. I'm very into that kind of thing. Being somebody that's from the UK that doesn't live in the UK, I really miss like a roast dinner. <laughs> um, I think I could probably eat a roast chicken dinner for the rest of my life. 
most of our New Yorkers who come on the podcast always say ramen. Yes. So it's nice to know you've still got you know, still retaining a bit of that Britishness with the uh, yes the Sunday roast. <laughs> Excellent and chicken as well, right? We're going we're going roast chicken. Roast chicken. Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, any any condiments? What would be on that plate out of interest? Some homemade gravy <laughs> and um, roast potatoes, some greens, something green, probably some green beans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell this is the most interesting part for me. I'm like, come on, tell me more. Amazing, amazing. What about you, Lisa? Go, go to meal. Oh, I, I would eat pasta at every meal for the rest of my life if I could. Is there a particular pasta dish that you go for? Well, that's the thing about pasta is that the possibilities are endless. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, it's up there with Lucy Killick's uh, feta cheese salad. You can mix it up and play around with the ingredients as well. Final, final question. This has become a bit of a tradition on the podcast is uh, from episode one, uh, Sergio, our Unreal Trainer, when he was asked the question he wished I'd asked you, it was what music he listens to while he's working. And I'm talking deep work, obviously not while you're dealing with clients and stuff. But is there a go-to track or tracks or artists that I think I can include in the Framestore daily Spotify playlist that accompanies the podcast? It's a tricky one. I, whenever I listen to music when I'm working, I, I tend to listen to the radio because I like to listen to new stuff all the time, you know, be exposed to new stuff. But I think if I had to choose, it's definitely going to go back to like some 90s stuff that seminal things that you like something like massive attack nice excellent okay well i'll be coming for a massive attack track at some point in the next few weeks vicky ahead of uh, of release uh, same for you lisa is there a go-to artist that you like to listen to while you're uh, producing oh i love to listen to mixes on youtube of the cure that's a great one. Thank you, Vicky. That was that was brilliant. Obviously, we'll come back uh, for episode two on Thursday. The interrogation that everybody's tuning in for, where we get really get to understand uh, the role of a creative director that I've just scratched the surface with. So, uh, Vicky, thanks for your time. Lisa, thank you for your time. And we'll see you both on Thursday. Thank you. Well, that was part one. Join us for part two of the Framestore podcast this Thursday, where Lisa takes over proceedings as co-host and interviews Vicky. See you then.